Well, we are in uh, James chapter 3, and uh, last Sunday, if you were with us, uh, we started a, a series of relationships that we've been calling friend requests. And we're talking about uh, relationships. We're talking about what does the Bible say about friendships? What does it really mean to love one another? And I just want to uh, welcome all of you here today and, and welcome everybody that's watching online. We're glad that you're dialing in. And uh, we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. And I, I heard the story of a pastor uh, this past week, who will remain nameless to protect the guilty, um, but he was visiting an elderly lady in his church, and she was in her 80s, and she really recently lost her husband, and so he wanted to uh, just connect with her and just encourage her, and so it was right before the noon hour, they were sitting in her living room, and she had a bowl of peanuts on the coffee table, and uh, so he took a couple of peanuts and just ate them, and of course, you can't eat just one. Uh, so he started eating the peanuts as they were talking. And a few minutes later, he realized he'd eaten the entire bowl of peanuts. And he was just mortified. He was so embarrassed. Uh, he apologized profusely to the lady. And uh, the lady looked at him and said, Pastor, don't worry about it. She said, I can't chew on them anyway after I've sucked all the chocolate off of them. <laughs> that is uh, a particularly bad joke in the middle of a pandemic, I think. But uh, um, but yeah, I think we've all done foolish things and we do foolish things sometimes intentionally, sometimes uh, unintentionally. And nowhere is this more true than in the area of our relationships, in the area of our friendships. Uh, we often do things that are unwise. We, we often uh, say things that, what, you know, that just kind of roll off our tongue, just come natural. We often do things that, that really are just the most natural thing to do. And they're not always the right thing. And, and, they, and they oftentimes elicit the very response that we don't want. And so, and so really, uh, f we exhibit this kind of foolishness in our relationships that, that really just hinder uh, our love for one another and our connecting. And so, and so really, the answer to that is wisdom, the wisdom of God. And so wisdom doesn't eliminate all of your problems, but it certainly can minimize the problems that you have. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, really the, the classic passage on wisdom in relationships. And that's what James is going to be talking about in James chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through, through 18. He's really talking about the context has to do with relationships and particularly how we talk to one another. And what he's going to point us to is wisdom is the answer. Wisdom is really the key. And so what I want us to do is read this passage, a short passage, but it is it is an amazing passage. When you really begin to process what he's saying, it will change your life, church. It will absolutely transform your relationship. So let's, let's look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace now i shared with you last week that that as human beings we're, we're made in the image of god god made us relational and so we can't we can't 
survive or thrive without relationships in our life. We, we need relationships. So it doesn't matter if you're in elementary school or middle school or college or your kids are grown and gone, you're in the golden years. We all have relationships and we all need relationships. But the truth is there's not an area that's more challenging in our life than relationships. Chances are, if you're experiencing a problem in your life, it has something to do with a relationship, either you know, between you and your spouse or you and your kids or you and your next door neighbor or a family member or a coworker. And so what we know is relationships are hard work. Relationships are hard. And what James is saying in, J- in chapter three is he's saying that, that wisdom is the key to great relationships. That's the key, understanding wisdom and really, really living that out every day in our life. So here's what I want to do today, church. I want to ask three questions of the text today. What is wisdom? Number one, what difference does wisdom make in our relationships? Number two, and number three, how do we get this wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? How do we get it? All right. So let's look at those three questions. The first one is this, really, what is wisdom? Well, he, he begins to give us that answer in verse 13. Notice what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, what he's talking about is this, that, it's, that wisdom is really, when you, when you try to define wisdom, we often think wisdom as, you know, education or smarts or intelligence. And that's not really what wisdom is. There are plenty of educated fools in the world today. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. So it really doesn't matter how intelligent you are or, you know, how many degrees you have hanging on the wall. I mean, maybe you have so many degrees, they call you Dr. Fahrenheit. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. You can be the most brilliant scientist at MIT and your family is absolutely falling apart. And what that shows is there's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. And what James is saying is wisdom is about how we relate to one another. Wisdom manifests itself very specifically in how we treat each other. That's how you know that you're wise. Let him show it by his conduct. That's what he's saying. Let him show it in his works, in the meekness of wisdom. And so really, when you think about what wisdom is, Wisdom is the ability to be able to process and understand and build relationships. That's what wisdom is. It's it's really the ability to take knowledge of relationships and apply that knowledge and work out that knowledge in everyday real life. That's what wisdom really is. It is. It is really just this opportunity of seeing separate things, things that are separated and understanding their relationship and then being able to very practically bring them together in a unity. Now, I think a great example of this or a great illustration of this is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks uh, in NFL history. And what made him such a great quarterback was not that he was particularly athletic because surprisingly, he really wasn't very athletic. And it wasn't what made him a great quarterback was really not he had his incredibly strong arm. I mean, he had a good arm, but he, had a, he wasn't exceptionally strong, uh, you know, quarterback, in, you know, as, according to arm strength. What really made him a great quarterback was his wisdom. 
his ability to process relationships. He would come to the line of scrimmage. He could look at all 11 men on defense and understand the relationship that he had between the 11 men on offense and the opposing team's defense. And he could process it. He could process those relationships in five or six seconds and exploit openings and opportunities. And he did it really well. He took knowledge and translated it into action. That's wisdom. It is, it is really this. It is the ability to take the knowledge of God and apply it to my life in such a way that I work it out in my relationship with God. It's the ability to take the knowledge of God, who he is and what he's done for us, and apply that and work it out in my relationships with other people. That's what wisdom is. Now, I shared with you last week that the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those important doctrines, especially as a foundation for understanding relationships. And so basically the doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity is this, that God exists as one. He's one God, but he exists in three persons, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So really the essence of who God is, is he is a community within himself. He relates to himself in a, in a friendship love in relationship. And we are image bearers of that. Now, let me just, let me just throw this at you this morning. If you were to ask a secularist, somebody that buys into secularism, what is ultimate reality in the universe? Some secularists will say matter is ultimate reality, like physical matter. Some secularists will say energy is ultimate reality, that there's an energy in the universe, that that is ultimate reality. Some will say power is ultimate reality. And there are a lot of people in the world today pursuing power as the ultimate thing. And it's tearing our country apart. There are people that are pursuing political power at all costs, economic power at all costs, across the world, military power at all costs. And it is destructive when it becomes the ultimate thing. Now, the Christian worldview says that ultimate reality is God himself. That ultimate reality is personal, it's relational, and it's love. Now think about that for a minute. Obviously, there's matter and energy and power in the universe, right? But God created it. God existed before there was even matter. And God has power, but he always uses that power to express his love. So the ultimate reality of the universe is relational, personal love. Think about, church, the implications of that. Because if that is true, do you know what that means? Very practically, people matter. All people matter. Relationships matter. My relationship with my spouse matters. My relationship with my children matters. My relationship with my neighbors matter. My relationship with my coworkers matter. People matter. That's 
ultimate reality of the universe that life specifically is about loving God and loving each other. And if we miss that church, we have missed life. We have missed the point of life because that is the ultimate reality of the universe. It's not about how much money you make or what you achieve or how famous you are or how, much, or how high you get. It's not a matter of that. It's about knowing and loving God and then knowing and loving other people. And wisdom is the ability to work that out practically every day. Does that make sense? That's what wisdom is. Now, what he does, what he does in verse 17 is he, he really shows us the difference that wisdom can make in our life. I mean, very practically, he, he just shows us. No, notice what he says, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now he rattles off. He lists, he, there's a list of things here that really illustrate the difference that wisdom, once you apply it in your relationships, the difference that it makes. I mean, wouldn't you agree that if, that if you were walking in according to these traits, it would transform your relationships? I, I think you would probably agree to that. And, and that's true. So let's just kind of walk through these. And I want to get just a few moments. I want to get right in the trenches with you. So let's walk through these. He says this, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's pure. Now, pure means to be clean. It means to be unpolluted, obviously. I think, I think the word there is, is really integrity. What he's talking about is integrity. That if you want, you want to see a difference in your relationships, wisdom says we need to be men and women of integrity. Now, the reason why that is important is because when you think about the oxygen of relationships. When you think about what, is, what does a relationship need to grow and flourish? It needs trust, doesn't it? I mean, you gotta trust the other person. And when there's that lack of trust, the relationship struggles. And so you need trust in relationships. Church, listen to me. Where does trust come from? It comes from the truth. Where does truth come from? Well, it ultimately comes from God, but it comes from people who are walking in integrity. And so really, if I'm wise, I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to deceive you. I'm not going to you know, tell half-truths. Does that make sense? That's part of why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, because he wants us to trust him. And trust has to be built on truth. And Jesus is saying, I am ultimate truth. I am ultimate integrity. You can trust me. Does that make sense? I don't know if you know the name Leonard Keeler, but he was the scientist uh, researcher that developed the lie detector test. And over the course of his lifetime, he administered 25,000 lie detector tests to 25,000 different people. He wrote a book about it. And uh, do you know what his main conclusion of the book was? His main conclusion was, we all lie. We all lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to other people. And we lie to God. And what James is saying here is, if I want great relationships, I need wisdom. And if I'm wise, I'm not going to compromise my integrity. Does that make sense? Look at the next one. But the wisdom from above is peaceable. 
Now, what that means is this, that you're, you're a person of peace. You're not trying to pick a fight. You're not trying to antagonize someone. Okay, so, so what this means is wisdom says, look, I'm not going to pick a fight with my brother. I'm not going to pick a fight with my sister, right? Uh, I'm not going to pick a fight with a coworker. I, I'm going to live at peace. And, and really what a peacemaker is, is, you know, you see two, two things that are separate and you bring them together. That's what, that's what a peacemaker uh, is. And so I think oftentimes the way we pick fights, the way we uh, antagonize one another is just, condemning other people just coming down hard just kind of being judgmental towards other people uh being critical I, I think another way that we that we pick fights is we antagonize our relationships with other people is we compare we compare people with other people we say well if you were more like so and so you know he opens the door for his wife why don't you open the door for me well, how do you think that's going to go? <laughs> how do you think that's going to land when you say that? Or, or you, you say something like this, you're just like your mother. You're just like your mother, right? She does that and you do it too. And I mean, where is that going to go? It's, it's not going to go to a good place. So when we compare and when we condemn, it just antagonizes. And what, what James is saying is very practically, wisdom says, be a person of peace. Be a peacemaker. Notice the next one. But the wisdom from above is, is gentle. Uh, that word gentle is, just means to be considerate. Uh, means to be aware of the feelings of others. So uh, if you ask my wife, uh, people ask my wife, uh, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? You know what she says? She says, no, I usually let him sleep. Yeah, I usually <laughs> let him sleep. And you know why? Because, because she's considerate. She's very, she's very gentle. And so being being gentle just means you're aware of how the other person is feeling. You're, you're dialed into that. And what James is saying is that's wise. It's wise to be attuned to the feelings of other people. Notice the next one. But the wisdom from above is open to reason. Open to reason. That just means that you're willing to yield to someone. It is the Greek word there is euphethes. And it means you're not stubborn. You're open, to, you're open to hearing. And the way that you know that you're open to reason is you're willing to listen to people. You are really to hear people out. And so one of the things I struggle with is sometimes I'm in a conversation with people and I will oftentimes finish their sentence. So they're talking to me and I'll finish their sentence because I'm, I'm trying to move the conversation along. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but I do it. And, it, and it's, really, it, it, it's really jumping to conclusions and not really hearing the other person. And so I think what, what he's trying to say here is this. Look, wisdom in relationships means I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to really stop, you know, trying to think about what I'm going to say next and hear what the other person says. Notice the next two. These, the, I put these two together, but the wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. I think what he's really talking about there is in relationships, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to say things that we don't want to, that we shouldn't say. We're going to do things that we shouldn't do. We're going to do things specifically that are going to hurt someone. And the reason why is because we're fallen people. We're sinners. And so wise relationships, great relationships are full of mercy and grace. They're full of good fruits. I mean, think about who is... Who is the most merciful person in the universe? 
God is. Who's the wisest person in the universe? God is. And so when we walk in mercy and grace, when we extend that to other people, we're just like God. We're developing godly character. Does that make sense? So that's, that's at the heart of what's, what's, going on, what's going on there. And then the last two, he says this. He says, but the wisdom from above is impartial and, and sincere. Now, uh, I love this. I, I love this, these, this phrase, impartial and sincere. It really, comes from, it really comes from two Greek words. And these two Greek words are adiakritos and a nipokritos or a nipokritos, okay? So impartial and sincere, they, they kind of mean the same thing. Now, let me explain to you why those two, two Greek words are important. I don't, in, I don't know if you realize this, but theater, theater was invented by the ancient Greeks. So Plato, Socrates, and these guys uh, wrote these tragedies, these comedies, they did these, these Greek plays. And what the actors would do, there'd be one or two actors and each actor would wear a mask, okay? They would wear a mask, just like the mask you're kind of wearing right now, right? Um, and, so, and so they would act out a character in this mask and then they would run off the stage and they would change out masks and play a different part. Now, the phrase the words that he's using here is a diakritos and a nipokritos. Do you know what the Greek word is for the actor wearing a mask? Hippokritos. Do you know where we get the word hypocrite from? Hippokritos. What James is saying in this passage is don't be a hypocrite. Don't wear a mask at church except only during a pandemic. You can't do it during a pandemic. You need to do it during a pandemic, all right? But basically he's saying is, don't be fake. Be real. Church, if, if, if you can't be real at church, I mean, we got a problem. And so, and so God calls us to a place of just, just really being who we are. And especially in our relationships with one another, that we don't need to be a hypocritos. We need to be, we need to be the real thing. We need to be authentic. And that is, that is our vision. That's who we want to be here at Stones, a place where you can be you and you're loved because that is at the heart of the gospel. So there you have it. There's, that's the difference that wisdom, when you apply it, that's the difference that it makes in our relationships. Now, let me just, let me just finish with this one. Where do you get this wisdom? Where, where does it come from? How can, we, how can we access it? I think that it would be very tempting for you to look at verse 17 in particular and think, man, if I'm gonna have great relationships, I need wisdom and wisdom's gonna come from my hard work. And I'll, I'll, I can be pure and peaceable and gentle. If I can just do all of these things, then I can have wisdom and have great relationships. And the, and the temptation there is to think it's all about our hard work. And the reality is, the truth is, wisdom is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. You have to work it out in your relationships very practically. But ultimately, wisdom is a gift from God. Let me share with you just three thoughts of where wisdom comes from. I, I, would, say, I would say this. Wisdom, number one, comes from knowing God. That's where wisdom comes from. It comes from, it comes from knowing God. Now, I'm not talking about knowing about God. 
okay? Like you just read a theology book or you memorized a couple of verses. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about church really knowing God. Where you, where you know his presence, you experience his grace and his power in your life. That's what I'm talking about. Really knowing him. Not knowing about God or knowing some verses about God. That, that's, not, that's not it. But really knowing him. Now there's an interesting phrase in the Old Testament that describes people that really know God. And they call it the fear of the Lord. You know, this guy has the fear of the Lord. Or, or this, this, this lady was God-fearing. Now you see it in the New Testament, but it's particularly um, prevalent in the Old Testament. And so, and so you see this interesting verse, and you probably know where I'm going with this, Proverbs 9.10 that, collects, that, that connects the fear of the Lord with wisdom. Because that's what he says. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what the writer of Proverbs says is someone who really knows God, they have wisdom. They have the beginning of wisdom. It's kind of like Jonathan Edwards explained it like this. He said, he said you know, I can, I can tell you that honey is sweet if you've never tasted it before. But if I gave you a spoonful and you tasted it, you tasted it, then you would know that honey is sweet. And the truth is, there's some of you here today, you've been holding back. And you've never really tasted to see that the Lord is good. And the beginning of wisdom is taking that step. Does that make sense? And I, I, very practically, the way that we know God primarily is through his word. This is the revelation of who he is and what he's done. And so we can know him and develop the beginning of wisdom by, by really diving into his word. But there's a second place where wisdom comes from. And that is this. It comes from suffering. Wisdom comes from suffering. Now you don't have to turn there, but in James chapter 1, James opens this letter talking about, he says, you know, consider it pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your face produces steadfastness and steadfastness, uh, mature character. Um, and so he just talks about going through trials and rejoicing in the midst of trials. And so what he's basically saying is suffering tests our faith. It produces endurance within us and it matures our character. Now here's the interesting thing. The very next verse, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let, it, let him or her ask God, who gives generously without finding fault. Now church, for the longest time, I read that passage and I thought, okay, he's just changing, he's just changing topics. He started talking about trials and sufferings and now he's talking about wisdom and it's just different topic. That's not what he's doing. You know what he's doing? He's basically saying this, that in the midst of suffering, you and I need wisdom. And we need to ask God for wisdom as we go through a suffering season. What does the wisdom of God teach us in suffering? It teaches us humility, does it not? In suffering, what do we realize? We realize that God is strong and we are not. That God is powerful and we are weak. We realize that God is sovereign and we are not sovereign. In suffering, we realize God is God, and we are not. 
Church, we have a tendency to slip into this mindset of self-sufficiency and self-centeredness. And suffering brings us out of that. It brings us to a place of humility. It humbles us. It reminds us that God is the central character in our story. We are not. And the more we realize that, the more humility we have. And the more humility we have, the more in touch with reality we really are. Because we realize it's not about us. It's about God and us serving God and serving our neighbor. That's humility and that's reality. Now the flip side is true too. So when we live in pride, you know, pride is this thought that I'm the center of the universe. That everybody else and God included should revolve around me and my wishes. And so the more pride you have in your life, the more out of touch with reality you are. The more you believe a lie that says, you know, I'm the central character in my story, dadgummit. It's all about me and my happiness. And you know what that is? That's insanity. You're being out of touch with reality. So God uses suffering to bring us to reality, to bring us into not self-sufficiency, but God-sufficiency. And God-centeredness rather than self-centeredness. Do you know where... He even talks about pride. Um, verse 16, he talks about jealousy, selfish ambition. There will be disorder. You guys follow me on that? And, and every vile practice. That's what pride produces. That's what he's talking about. He's really contrasting pride and humility. Do you know uh, where sexism, sexism comes from? Pride. Stinking pride, the insanity of pride that says, well, I'm a male and males are better than females. That's unreality. Do you know where racism comes from? Stinking pride. Well, we're better than them. That is unreality. And it's, it, it's the cause of the brokenness in our world, pride. And so God uses suffering to teach us humility. God uses suffering to teach us the wisdom, the meekness of wisdom. Does that make sense? Let me close with this. Here's the third place where wisdom comes from. James tells us this, it comes from above. It comes down from above. Do you know that, that wisdom existed from the foundation of the world? Did you know that? It really did. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what the Greek word is for word? Logos. Wisdom. Capital W. Jesus. And the gospel is this. Wisdom came and went to the cross and died for your foolishness and mine, for your rebellion and mine, for, for the pride of the human race that says, you know what? I'm the center of the universe. Wisdom came and died. And the Bible says this, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved by Jesus, our wisdom. And so my question is this. Do you know the wisdom of God? Do you know Jesus? Do you have his wisdom in your heart? Because the good news of the gospel is you can. You just have to repent of your sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for the revelation of wisdom. And I pray, God, that you would show us how to work this out everyday life, God, that we would be a people of integrity, that we would be peacemakers, that we would be open to reason, that we would listen and listen well. God, that we'd be full of mercy because you are full of mercy towards us. God, that we would live impartial lives and sincere. We would be real. And Lord, we know that we got to work this out, but ultimately it comes from you, God. It's a gift from you in us. And so God, I just ask that you would bless our relationships. You would bless the marriages in this room, the parenting child relationships in this room, the friendships in this room. God, just our church family, that you would help us to understand and see relationships, that you would help us to build relationships for the glory of God. And so, Lord, I, I pray that the church would just take the lead in our country for what it means to really love people. God, may they see us as a light. May they see us as a model the, as we reflect the kingdom of God, as we reflect your goodness. May the world be drawn to that and want that very same thing. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. We love you, God. And all God's people said, amen.